We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Kicks for Pace, presented by The Bear Report. Your number one source for Chicago Bears draft news, analysis, scouting reports, and more. Hosted by Alex Blevin and Andrew Freeman on Overtime Media. Welcome to Picks for Pace, a Chicago Bears draft podcast presented by the Bear Report. My name is Andrew Freeman, and of course, I'm happy to be joined by Bear Report writer Yusei Koshal. Uh, said, how are we doing today? Doing well, man. Um, Bears are nearly in the playoffs, all right? Uh, we have an offense, which is great. Defense needs to wake up, wake up a bit here, but yeah, how's everything going with you? We're going good. We're getting close to uh, Christmas here, and uh, you know things are getting a little bit hectic here with the holidays. But you can't complain. There, it's a, it's a great time of the year, and it's it's a great time, especially with the Bears. They're playing competitive football. They're in in the race, like we said, for the playoffs. And you know, coming off this win here, uh, recording this episode on December twenty third, following uh, that Bears thirty three to twenty seven win over the Minnesota Vikings. Just man, that was. Uh, <laughs> It's wild, like you said, that the bear. It's it's kind of like we're entering the twilight zone with this Bears team at this point, you know, because for pretty much the better part of the last three seasons, everything's been about the defense winning the the, the games for the Bears and the offense kind of lagging behind for this team. And man, over the last four weeks, it's really been the opposite. The Bears' offense has been, dare I say, fantastic over the last month or so of the season since the bye week. While the defense has kind of fallen off a cliff a little bit, which is really surprising given all the talent that they have there. But yeah, this game against the Vikings was wasn't an exception to that. Uh, you know, one of the one of the you know fun things to see was they actually they got the running game going really well in this game. They've been running the ball well, really well over the last three weeks or so in general. Um, just getting that going with this with this rejuvenated, reshaped offensive line. But 
Man, David Montgomery had himself a game. It was a career performance for David Montgomery. Uh, he had what was it, 32 carries, over 140 yards, rushing, rushing a career high, two touchdowns. Uh, really fun to watch. Uh, and it'll be interesting to see what happens from here because uh, if you would have told me that this offense would be putting up three or more points in three straight games at the start of the season with the way that they struggled early on, I would have called you a bald-faced liar because – it's just they look like a completely different unit over over the last month or so. Yeah, and you mentioned David Montgomery. I mean, him kind of listen. We knew going into the season, we saw the flashes last year. We knew what David Montgomery could do, right? That what he's doing now is no different from what he was doing at Iowa State. Okay, we're seeing all that come to fruition. The reason that he has finally kind of reached his potential and just continues to get better each week is because we finally, the Bears finally have a front five in front of them, an offensive line that can block for David Montgomery. All right, that's the reason that he's broken out. And I think that, listen, I get it. Yeah, it's a pass-happy league, but Matt Nagy mentioned this in his post-game press conference on Sunday afternoon. He was just like, look, we have to like run the ball 30 times a game because that's going to let us win. You know what? We will do that, and we will run this balanced offense because I think this game against the Vikings, I mean, yeah, Montgomery ran 32 times, and then Mitch threw the ball like 21 times, you know? which again is a somewhat balanced ratio anyway. Granted, you give or take a few because there are times where it's like Trubisky's throwing the ball 25, 26 times. But the point is that this balanced offense, it's working for the Bears. All right, Sam Mustafer and Alex Bars, they continue to get better each week. In the long term, what we've seen over the last three weeks here is really good because remember, you and I were on this podcast about five to six weeks ago talking about how, listen, the Bears need to go ahead. They have to address the offensive line. Well, now because of the emergence of Mustafa and Bars, that's one less need you're going to have. Now what you're looking at is really only replacing Charles Leno Jr. in the offseason because I think he can cutting him saves like six to seven million or something like that. So the Bears are going to have limited resources in the upcoming offseason in terms of draft cap, salary cap space. There are some bigger needs that they are going to have to invest in. But the emergence of Mustafa and Bars here makes the offensive line a lesser priority. Granted, they still need to add some depth. And David Montgomery is – I wrote this in one of my post-game recaps as well. I was just like, look, the offensive line's clicking. The biggest beneficiary of that is David Montgomery because I think that he's averaging like a ridiculous – I think it's like five or six yards a carry um, right now over the last like couple games. Yeah, I know. Dave Montgomery has been awesome over the past month or so. He's really, you know, for all the flack, I think Brian Pace got for trading up for David Montgomery because just because of the fact that, you know, they had limited draft capital that year and he's trading up for a running back, you know, what's the value of a running back here, you know, in the third round, I, I get it, but he's been a really key cog for their offense uh, this season, really over the last two years. And I know he's, He's been under the radar because he just hasn't gotten the help from the blocking. But with the way that Lucifer and, and Bars have been able to solidify that group in the interior, you have to feel really good about them going forward. And remember, they're getting James Daniels back next season as well. So you're looking at that. You have four legitimate options already on your roster in the interior. That just makes things a lot easier for, for this team going forward where, like you said, they're going to have limited resources in terms of draft capital and free agency and cap space. But and, and they're going to have to make a big decision at quarterback. You know, I think they've been doing a good job of working around Mitch Trubisky. We'll see if, whether they, they feel like they have to, they're going to resign him or, uh, you know, just let him go in the off season. You know, I wrote a piece, you know, talking about how 
it would be wise for the Bears to just move on at this point, regardless of what happens. But I, we'll see what happens from there. There's with two games left, we there's just a lot of developments going to be going on at the end of the season here. If they make it to the postseason, I, I think uh, that's going to change things as well, not only for players on the roster, but for the regime. When you look at the front office, Brian Pace, maybe even Ted Phillips, we'll get into all that when the offseason comes. But right now, Bears are winning. They're playing well, especially in offense. They're playing the Jaguars next week. So hopefully they can get another win there to set themselves up for week 17. But you know, we'll see what happens there. Uh, for this episode, uh, moving on here to what we're going to be discussing today, uh, we have a lot to discuss, and uh, including a very special interview with Nick Shepkowski. Uh, he's the managing editor of USA Today's Fighting Irish Wire. So he's going to give us some details on some of the best prospects at Notre Dame that are going to be entering the 2021 draft. And, and we're going to go over uh, some other stuff, especially with some of the Notre Dame guys on the Bears, especially with Mustafer and Bars uh, with their play over the past uh, month or so. So uh, really going to be a lot of fun to uh, interview him and, and see what he has to say for this Notre, team, Notre Dame team. Uh, this season uh, we also have a lot of other stuff to get to we had the conference championships this past week so um, definitely a lot of storylines to get through the college football playoff they've solidified their top four uh, for that so uh, a lot to get through here like I said before kind of sound like a broken record here but uh, it's going to be a fun episode uh, we're going to dig into that uh, but before we do we're going to take our first break of the show with uh, a word from our sponsor the Old West is an iconic period of American history. I'm Chris Wimmer. Join me on the Legends of the Old West podcast to hear the true stories of lawmen like Wyatt Earp, Bass Reeves, and the Texas Rangers, outlaws like Jesse James and Butch and Sundance, and Native American battles of the Lakota, Comanche, and Apache. We use cinematic storytelling and sound design to bring these stories and many more to life. Subscribe for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening now. And we're back here at Picks for Pace. Uh, the first thing I think we should discuss today for our episode uh, is, is touching on those conference championships uh, that we saw this past weekend. I think you say for me, the biggest takeaway that I have has to be Justin Fields' performance in the Big Ten Championship against Northwestern. And just the fact that, you know, Justin Fields really struggled in this one. Uh, when you look at Fields' stat line, 12 of 27, 114 yards, two interceptions it was not the best look for somebody that is projected to go very high in this upcoming draft and you know we still have a long ways to go in terms of the evaluating process I, I think Justin Fields I think a lot of evaluators are going to keep him as their quarterback too going into this draft but with the way that we've seen other guys play such as Zach Wilson at BYU has played this year I think there is some doubt about who the number two quarterback in this in this class is and um, you know, performances like we saw in the Big Ten Championship, you know, he's, he's going to need a bounce back performance, I think, uh, when you look at, you know, looking into the college football playoff. He's going to need to bounce back there because this was just not a good look for him um, for his future prospects. Yeah, and I think for Justin Fields, that was one of the biggest concerns coming into 2020 as well, is that we saw, okay, he had the 51 touchdowns from scrimmage in 2019, had 41 passing touchdowns that year too, and 10 running touchdowns. And so going into the summer kind of, or really going into 2020, a lot of the people that were saying what, who's the pro comparison for Justin Fields, 
my pro comparison, and a lot of people seem to agree on this, was Cam Newton light. Okay, he's not the athlete that Cam Newton is. He is not the runner or the uh, passer that Cam Newton is. Obviously, he's going to take years to really fulfill his potential. But the point is, is that last season, it was a concern of, well, there's times that Justin Fields does get out of sync, right? We saw that this year, too. I mean, it wasn't just this game against Northwestern that he struggled in, right? It was also, I think it was against Indiana, he struggled as well, right? That was another one of those games. Now, granted, the limited number of games this year for Fields, right, does kind of, um, you know, it's a lot of reps that he lost out on because of the coronavirus situation. But for a lot of people, you know, you touched on this too, is he was QB2, but now like with Zach Wilson's emergence, I mean, there's a lot of people that have said, well, maybe Zach Wilson's QB2, maybe because of some of the knocks and the red flags that Justin Fields has, maybe he's not necessarily a top five pick. Now he's looking more like a top 10 or maybe even a top 15 pick. Yeah, I'll, I'll be honest. I... I've been a lower on Justin Fields than most uh, when it looks when it comes to uh, I don't know what I'll call it, the draft community or draft Twitter or just you know just judging these prospects in general from a casual standpoint you know Justin Fields it's not that I don't think he isn't talented or that he doesn't have a high upside because he does when you when you watch him play you can clearly see the the, the physical build the athletic talent the ability to make some really impressive throws the the zip on his ball going to the sidelines and uh, over the middle of the field, uh, especially in the middle of the field, he throws a really nice, uh, really nice velocity on those intermediate throws. Um, certainly, a lot to like in this game, but this game right here against Northwestern. I, and to be fair, I, I want to point out that he did injure his thumb at, at some point during this game, so that might have affected his accuracy and confidence a little bit in his in his arm at some points, just not being able to grip the ball as well as he maybe would have liked to. But he was struggling before the thumb injury really took place anyway, so it wasn't just. Uh, injury holding him back here there was there are some concerns I think that you can pinpoint here and really nitpick his game a little bit and, and some of the things that I saw uh, his tendency to hold on to the ball for a very long time he's got a very good offensive line at Ohio State but for whatever reason he's one of the league I wouldn't say league no not league, league leaders but you know one of the leaders in college football among among prominent conferences in sack percentage you know he's really his sack percentage is really high uh, for a guy playing at a loaded program as Ohio State is and they have a bunch of guys on an offensive line that are going to get drafted in this next upcoming draft so that's a bit of concern for me it seems like he and why that's concerning is either he trusts his protection too much to be able to hold on to the ball for a while or the thing I worry about watching Mitch Trubisky play over these last four years is that he isn't processing the game very quickly and that's the biggest concern for me because you know, it's one thing to have the athleticism, the arm talent to be able to make a lot of special throws. We've seen Mr. Risky do that. Can you process the game? Can you win the game uh, between the ears and before the snap and be able to recognize coverages post-snap and be able to react and, and make quick decisions with that? That's some of the stuff that's uh, going to have to get ironed out, I think. And he's going to have to have a much better showing with that over these next couple of games here. Yeah, and you know, you mentioned the processing speed and just the way that he holds on to the ball way too long. I think that Fields has to understand that when he does get to the next level, you're playing bigger, faster, stronger defenses. I mean, listen, we get, yeah, listen, it is a pass first league, but the defenses in the NFL today, they've gotten so much better. And no defense is going to take it easy on 
whatever quarterback that they're playing, right? And for Fields especially, that thing is really key because you have heard, you know, this is a bit of a lazy narrative, right? Because I've heard some people be like, well, he's not a good quarterback because Ohio State quarterbacks are not good quarterbacks, right? He's better than any OSU QB I've seen get drafted over the last couple of years anyway. And the only one, Swain Haskins. But the point is, is that Fields has everything that it takes to be successful in the NFL. All right. No prospect coming out is ever going to be perfect, but his inability to really process correctly, it's super concerning, especially because this is not someone, right, that played with lesser competition. This isn't someone that like Zach Wilson was playing at BYU or like Trey Lance that was playing at North Dakota State. No, this is someone who, his entire college career essentially has been playing against power five conferences and Ohio state being one of the premium or the premier programs in the country, they get to play all the good teams every single year. Right. So it's just like fields kind of playing against the best of the best and still struggling with the ability to process two years into being a starter is something that you have to wonder, okay, what's going to happen if this lingers over to the NFL? Yeah, absolutely. I agree a hundred percent there. It's that's, at least for me for right now, that's the number one concern with Fields. Obviously, uh, getting as many reps as possible, you can work on that as you get more experience. So that's going to be the thing for me is can you develop that processing speed over uh, as he gets more experience. But, you know, I like the point that you made about, like, you don't want to judge him just because of the fact that he goes to Ohio State. I- I've always said this, you know, you judge the, the player, not the helmet. That's the most important mm-hmm. thing when you're looking at these guys. And I feel like way too many casual fans, they, they say, well, he goes to USC. Obviously, he's going to suck as a quarterback in the NFL or, you know, obviously Justin Fields. It's always going to Ohio State. And he's got all that talent around him, which, yeah, it's true that he benefits a lot from the talent around them. But you, you have to be ju- you have to be scouting the traits and evaluating the traits and um, all those other little things that go into playing the position, not just either box score scouting or just – saying, well, he has this and this and this to work with. He can't be this successful in the NFL. Those are just ridiculous takes, in my opinion. No, if, if you're going to be concerned, if you're going to be someone that's lower on fields, give me a legitimate reason, such as, you know, do you think his ball placement is good on his throws? What, what, what do you think about his arm talent? What do you think about his processing speed? Those are the things that I worry about, not the fact that he plays for Ohio State. That is – I think we have, that has to be an important discussion here when we're evaluating any prospect. Because even going back to, like last year, Joe Burrow, that LSU team is one of the most loaded college football teams in the history of the sport. What are you going to say now that like just because Joe Burrow plays at a big loaded pro- conference or loaded team like LSU that he that disqualifies him as a prospect? No, no. Joe Burrow is a great prospect, and you saw it when he was playing on the field. You could just tell by the traits that you saw him uh, showcase in his last year in college. And the same thing goes with Fields because there are a lot of things to like about Fields as a prospect. It's just a matter of can he iron some things out and develop once he gets to the NFL. And that's going to be something that's going to be important, I think, for a lot of NFL teams to decipher when they're making their final evaluations on him in the pre-draft process. Um, So, yeah, I think that was uh, probably the main takeaway from this past weekend's game. So, We'll see how Justin Fields does does do in the college football playoff. We're going to get to that in a little bit here. But first, uh, we have our interview with Nick Shepkowski coming up to you. tell us a little bit of some things about Notre Dame. So we're going to get into that. But before that, uh, we're going to take our second break of the show with another word from our sponsor. And welcome back again to the Picks for Pace podcast. Uh, 
we have a very special guest for today's episode, Nick, Nick Shipkowski, uh, of the managing editor of USA Today's Fighting Irish Wire and a 15-year veteran for the six, 670 The Score, if you guys are into Chicago Sports Radio, of course, um, giving us a pretty nice perspective on Notre Dame. Uh, Nick, uh, it's great to have you on. Uh, how are you doing today? I'm good. Happy holidays to you guys. Thanks for the invite. Of course. Happy, happy holidays to you as well. Uh, you know, I, I think we have to start with looking at this Notre, Notre Dame team, just to get some idea of, you know, some of the prospects to look at for some of the players that will be entering this next year's draft. Um, you know, I wanted to get your thoughts first on Ian Book and what your thoughts on his outlook as an NFL prospect. You know, he's been somebody that I've been trying to get a read on as a, as a quarterback um, over the past few years or so, especially this season. It's just looking at him from, you know, afar, it looks like he's been having a really strong year. Uh, what are your thoughts on book season? And uh, you know, what do you think his outlook is as a NFL prospect? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely like he's benefited from few things, obviously being a grad student, not having the class uh, like class resume that, other Notre Dame quarterbacks have had before. I think that has been something that has helped him of being able to, okay, take your grad class, one or two grad classes that you're in and focus a ton on football. And it's what you see a lot more at some of the major universities, uh, college football wise is, is what's the old line. I majored in football. Well, you kind of get to see that for a year with him. And I think that part has benefited him in that front. Now he's never going to be some kind of top tier, top prospect. He doesn't have nearly the arm strength. His height as well works against him. And I know we've seen Baker Mayfield here in recent years, uh, Drew Brees, and what he's been able to do his entire career being only a six-foot guy. Ian Book's not ever going to have the height to be to, to kind of put him over the top that way. Um, but I think what you've seen from him is, I'm not going to say he's as good a college football player as the name I'm about to say, but his type of game is very similar to that of Johnny Manziel in that there's no play that's ever – you never, you never see him get pressured and think like, yep, that play's over. He's done for. He, he has a great feel for the pocket. He has great awareness about him in that sense. And the thing, the knock on him really is just that he doesn't trust his instincts enough where he doesn't put the ball. He, you saw a streak this year where he went from the first game to the very last game of the regular season without throwing interception. But he also, part of that's because he knows that his arm strength is nowhere near elite which is never going to get him at the high part of many draft boards if any whatsoever and he's also not going to test that so you don't see him take a whole lot of chances in that sense either very very good with the ball very responsible with the ball but you kind of have a limited ceiling with that I mean I think he has improved his draft stock I think he was an undrafted guy before the year started maybe sneaks into the back couple of rounds is where you might see with him but it's it's a project. It's a it's a shot in the dark. Get a quarterback is whatever team ends up taking him. Got it. And then you know, kind of asking you here, just what do you think? Because we had Notre Dame versus Clemson this past weekend, right? What do you think went wrong for like Notre Dame this past weekend against Clemson? And then what do they have to fix before they play Alabama here? I think it's next Friday. Yeah, New Year's Day, Rose Bowl in the traditional setting of AT&T Stadium in Dallas, Texas, uh, just let you sign up for on New Year's Day. I, the thing that went wrong with Clemson is 
I think that, yeah, if you go roster-wise, one through 90, Clemson has a better roster than Notre Dame. The number one spot where for them it would be, be Trevor Lawrence, for Notre Dame it would probably be Jeremiah Wusukoromo, and I'm sure we'll touch on him in just a minute. Yeah, the one spot on Clemson is more valuable to them than Wusukoromo uh, is to Notre Dame. But I think in terms of the actual talent that was put out there on the field, Notre Dame had the better lines, both sides of the ball. The thing is, I when, when you talk about winning pedigree, and that ability to win a championship. You saw the difference there between Ian Book, who we just talked about, who's a really good college quarterback. I don't want to take anything against him, and I think he has improved this year. And you saw the difference between him and what might be a fifth-round, sixth-round pick type of guy and Trevor Lawrence, who is your unanimous, no-questions-asked, number-one pick in the upcoming draft. Trevor Lawrence, is he, he gets all the credit in the world for being able to read the field, for his arm strength, for his vision, and that's all noteworthy and it's all justified. He doesn't get nearly the praise he deserves for how, how freely he moves and how, how well he's able to move as well. And that was a differing factor in this game as well. I, I think that it's, you, you see the championship pedigree, a team that's been there before and won there before and doesn't have a moment that's too big for them in Clemson, where Notre Dame, they had a chance to go up 10 nothing early in that contest. And when they fizzled a drive down in the red zone and missed a field goal, it's like everything started to go south there. Then they have a chance to go take retake the lead after Clemson had scored their touchdown. They are facing a fourth and three, an easy pitch and catch from book to receiver Avery Davis. Avery Davis overruns it and puts himself in terrible position to make a wide open catch. And the game just, it, it snowballed completely out of control from there. And it's just those little things of, all right, if they are going to win, if they're going to beat the big boys, in that case, Clemson, in this coming case, in the Rose Bowl in, in Alabama, who has, I think, significantly better line play than Clemson does, I, those are the things you can't afford to to come up short on, and that's where things started to really spiral out of control there for Notre Dame. Do they win the game if Avery Davis makes that catch? Maybe, maybe not, but I do know that it's certainly a lot more interesting a lot longer into the contest than it was. Yeah, cer- certainly with Trevor Lawrence being back, you know, I, I know early in the year Notre Dame, they were able to get that win against Clemson, but of course Trevor Lawrence was out. With him back in the lineup, that, that margin for error is a lot smaller, I think, for a team like Notre Dame, who, like you said, I mean, the offensive line play for them, especially this year, uh, has been really fun to watch from from my perspective, just evaluating them. And one of the, my favorite prospects to watch on the Notre Dame offensive line has been Liam Eichenberg. Um, you know, kind of give us a, I guess for some who aren't, you know, as uh, invested in Notre Dame football, kind of what your sense is for him as a prospect in terms of someone that's actually been, you know, getting a close look at him throughout his college career there at Notre Dame. Yeah. I don't think he's, he's a finalist for one of the linemen of the year awards nationally was first team all ACC that was selected or announced uh, earlier this week. And that's been made public. Um, He's very good player. Uh, Obviously probably going to be end of first round towards the first half of the second round type of prospect is where you see him kind of listed on most draft boards. He's not the level of say tackle wise with Notre Dame, Ronnie Stanley a few years back or Mike McGlinchey a few years back. Those guys were on the very short list of best linemen in all of college football. I don't think Liam Meikenberg's quite that dominating. I, the thing about him and the thing that I think that statistically we'll see pro football focus send this number out a lot. A lot of times when they praise Notre Dame's offensive line, they go back to the praise of their pass protection and so-and-so hasn't allowed a sack since this date in 2018 or the start of 2019 or whatever it might be. And for most guys that are starters on that team, it goes back quite some time. But 
when, when you kind of see it with Eichenberg, he's not the kind of guy that just like when Ronnie Stanley was there, it was give Josh Adams the ball, get him behind Stanley. And you're probably going to get six or seven yards or that, or that was McGlinchey rather, but McGlinchey and Nelson, but with like um, a few years earlier with Ronnie Stanley, when it was Terry and Foster and a couple other running backs, Notre Dame had at that point, it was just get them the ball, run behind those guys. And I don't know if Eichenberg is quite the dominating force in that same sense in that you just, if you need three yards, that's where you're going. Notre Dame relies also heavily on tight ends um, in their blocking game where they have a couple great ones in that. So I don't think you have like the complete polished prospect as a pro in Eichenberg, like you did in a couple of the other Notre Dame guys that are starring in the NFL now uh, of recent note. Yeah. One of the things that you mentioned, the polish of being ready for the NFL. One of the things that does stand out to me is, I feel like he does have a pretty good sense of being technically strong in, in the sense of in pass protection. That was one of the things yes. that stands out to me. He seems very technically refined and uh, as an outsider looking in on, on his play. Yeah, no, that's definitely, I think that's the strongest suit. The strongest selling point of his game is exactly that. I think that uh, you get into breaking him down. And even this past week against Clemson where the offensive line had their issues most of those issues were coming from the interior part. It wasn't on the tackle positions. So I think that I think that your your thought there is pretty strong. I think it's pretty accurate on kind of scouting him and scouting Eichenberg as a player because even against Clemson, against the best defensive line that he saw this year twice now, I, it wasn't him that was the was the faulty point. It wasn't him that was kind of the issue with that where, where Ian Book took six sacks and what, we, what was easily the most pressure that he faced all year. Got it. So switching over to the defensive side of the ball, I know you brought the linebacker up earlier, but kind of what are thoughts? What are your thoughts on Jeremiah Wosu-Karoma? Because he's someone that I think really uh, burst onto the scene. And I remember watching um, Clemson versus Notre Dame earlier in the year. I think it was back in like October or November. And then he really caught my eye. But what are your thoughts on him and where do you see him being drafted? Well, I think he's the comparison that I've made this year because he was a no-name at Notre Dame his first two years. Couldn't get on the field, um, actually. His freshman year, didn't see any action. Then had a foot injury, I think, first or second game his sophomore year and was done for the year. So that 2018 team that went to the Cotton Bowl and played Clemson that year, he was on it, but he wasn't playing in any uh, major part of, of that season because he was out injury-wise. And last year was kind of his first real taste of real college football, being a starter, being a contributor in that sense. And you saw him take off like halfway through the season and his sack numbers went up significantly. His pressures went up significantly and you just thought, wow, this guy went from an afterthought or a, what is he at the start of the year to he's got some potential. This guy could be a pro player. And this year, and Brian Kelly kind of spoke about it before the season, the difference between a Wusu Koromo at the start, at the end of last year versus the start of the year. And he said, well, he's figuring out the game. He's finally getting lined up. And to me, that meant his pre-snap reads were significantly better than he kind of started as. And you've seen that pay off in a huge way this year. I mean, you look at his numbers, his numbers are down across the board in terms of sacks, in terms of um, in, in, in terms of tackles. They aren't as high as they were a season ago, but you can't convince me he's not a better player. He is outstanding speed-wise in coverage. I mean, here are multiple plays. You referenced the Clemson game the first time around where – Trevor Etienne is supposed to be atop the draft boards in terms of running backs anyway. And he was defending him out of the backfield, was taking on receivers out of the backfield and doing a heck of a job. 
forced a fumble in that game, returned it for a touchdown. I compare him to, like, I think that Jalen Smith had a great career at Notre Dame, but was misused for a large chunk of that. That's kind of where I see Owusu Koromoa. Now, he doesn't have the same size as Smith, so he's not going to be a top five, top seven prospect like Smith was before he had the nasty knee injury in the Fiesta Bowl. But in terms of what his actual output is, it's like Jalen Smith being used properly and used in a whole aspect of the game, not just, all right, line up and try to go get after the quarterback, but used all over the field. I like him as a prospect. I don't know if his size is going to let him be a top half or first half of the first round type of guy, but I fully expect his name to be called on day one in the NFL draft without doubt, without a doubt. Yeah, it'll be interesting to to see where he goes because, like you said, maybe the size thing may hold him back for some teams' draft boards, but I think with the the way that the league is trending right now with the passing game being so so much more emphasized now than it was even 10 years ago, uh, his you know his coverage ability seems like that'll be a huge asset I think and and something that teams will really like to see uh, from him in the in the pre-draft process I think that'll be something that I I, I definitely could see being a huge plus for him uh, when it comes to teams kind of getting their final final evaluations of him. Yeah, I think that the, the old saying, the tape don't lie. I mean, his biggest knock is going to be on the, at the combine when he goes and measures out. And okay, well, he's a little undersized. Oh, his hands aren't that big. Okay, well, go pull up the tape. And he won the Butkus Award this year for the reason as the nation's best linebacker. I mean, the guy is a prime talent, and and I think he's going to be be facing a very big NFL payday that's uh, that's going to pay off here in April. Yeah, absolutely, and it's gonna be fun to see where he uh, where his trajectory is during this pre-draft process to see where that go- where he ends up falling. Um, so, uh, yeah, last thing here for you, Nick. Uh, uh, moving on, I guess from just purely the Notre Dame aspect of things, uh, kind of want to get your thoughts on Sam Mustafer and Alex Bars because you know focusing on this Bears team, of course, and um, when you look at the Bears and the way they their offense is kind of really just exploded out of nowhere over the past month or so of the season. Um, a lot of that has gone, has been because of the play of Sam Mustafer and, and Alex Bars on the offensive line for the bears. So I, I just kind of wanted to get your thoughts on, you know, did you see this development coming from them? And um, you know, do you think this is something that the bears can build upon for their team long-term with, with these two in the starting lineup? Yeah. I mean, I always, I've always been high on Alex Bars. I, that's a guy that in 2018, he moved from the right side of the line to the left guard position, tore his ACL only. It was against Stanford at the end of September, fourth or fifth game of the regular season for Notre Dame. And that team played without its best offensive lineman. I mean, best offensive lineman by a mile that year for the final two months in their, in their uh, college football appearance against Clemson. They played without Bars. And I thought that that was far and away the first month of the year that he was Notre Dame's best offensive player. And you can't just throw that around saying that about a guard, but I I really did feel about that level of play. I mean, it wasn't quite at what like Quentin Nelson had done the year and two years before with Notre Dame, but the drop-off wasn't that significant. I thought that whoever ended up with bars, I thought he's going to still get drafted even after tearing his ACL. And I mean, it was obviously major reconstruction on his knee and a major rehab with that. So it took some time to, to get him back to full health. And maybe that's why you only saw him on a practice squad last year and worked through that. And he got bumped up. I want to say in December or late in the year last year for the bears, but I'm not that, I, I guess I'm surprised with it being this well that he's playing, 
but I'm not surprised that he's having success now that I think the knee's back to easily. It's safe to say that's back to 100%. Sam Mustafer, I always thought was good, maybe not great. Like, I look at a guy that Notre Dame has right now, Jared Patterson, broke his foot against North Carolina the day after Thanksgiving, and they have to play the rest of the year without him. I look at him as being a better pro prospect than Mustafer was, but Mustafer was part of a team that he was a center on that offensive line that won the Joe Moore award for the best offensive line in college football back in 2017. I didn't see him as a great NFL prospect, but I just watched a few of these bears games here recently. I mean, the one against the lions where he manhandles the defensive tackle on the long David Montgomery run like that one stuck out. I know his performance this last week against Minnesota was nothing short of outstanding. And I, I, I'm not surprised he's having success, but kind of like in the bars, the bars discussion, I'm very surprised it's this high. Like I thought he'd be a guy to be like, okay, yeah, you can get away with that. You can, you can play with him. Not a guy like, oh my God, you got something going here in the middle of this offensive line that you're actually building around two guys that were undrafted. That's I'm surprised by it. I'm happy for both of them, but I'm very surprised by at least that high a level of play here the last month by him. Yeah, Mustafer especially, he's been an absolute revelation, I think, for this group because, you know, going into last year, there was a lot of discussion about Bars being someone that I think the Bears, uh, you know, a lot of fans and re- beat report writers, and, you know, were saying that, you know, Bars might be someone that the Bears might have gotten a steal here, getting him as a UDFA. Uh, and Mustafer was kind of like an afterthought in, in that sense um, because Harry Heastan, he was the offensive line coach last season for the Bears, and, it, you know, Mustafer being Kerry Stan's guy from Notre Dame kind of made sense of connection from there. But no, as you said, and Mustafer, that game he had against Minnesota, especially that one block on the David Montgomery, David Montgomery run, I think it was a 14 yard touchdown run. I think it was, mm-hmm. um, I mean, that was just pitch perfect blocking from the center position, be able to, to, uh, you know, hold off the backside defensive tackle and then kick out the linebacker on that play. I mean, that was, that was fantastic to watch. And, and, I mean, it's, it's very surprising because going into the year, I, I would have been the last person that would have thought that uh, he'd be playing a huge role for this Bears team at, at the center position. Yeah, I think with the, going into this year with the questions you had offensively, if you would have said a couple of guys from the practice squad or, or on the not just on the roster but in the starting lineup, that you're not just getting by but you're actually having success, you're having improvement off of it. I would have been a doubter on that one. I would not have been buying stock in it, but uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's been a very pleasant surprise and kind of fun to watch as well. Yeah. As they say that you earn your way in the NFL. And I think those two have definitely done a good job of, of earning their place in this league. And it'll, it'll be uh, interesting to see how their careers unfold with the bears, because I think they're going to be here next year. And, uh, you know, it, they're, they've done a great job of solidifying that unit and it's going to be interesting to see how they go from here. So uh, I, Nick, I want to thank you one more time for, for coming on the podcast and kind of sharing some information on Notre Dame's team this season. Uh, where can they find your work, our, our listeners here, and uh, where can they follow you on Twitter as well? Yeah, um, you can follow it right right along, fightingirishwire.usatoday.com is where you go for all that information. going to have previews up for the upcoming Rose Bowl against Alabama, have insight into everything press conference-wise, news-wise that comes out. And as well on Twitter at Nick Shepkowski, um, it's where you can find me. It's where you can find uh, where I'll be posting all my work as well. Absolutely. Yeah. Make, make sure to give uh, Nick a follow. He produces great work there for 
uh, fighting our wire and uh, it's going to be a big week for Notre Dame coming up here uh, going into the college football playoffs. So uh, it's going to be interesting to see how this plays off this plays out this weekend. So uh, once again, Nick, uh, thank you for coming on the picks for pace podcast. Anytime guys appreciate the invite. And again, Merry Christmas. And we're back here at picks for pace. Uh, you know, that was a really fun interview that we just had with Nick Shepkowski. He gave us a lot of interesting information on, on some of the key names to be looking out for from Notre Dame in this upcoming NFL draft uh, that we're going to be you know, going to be going over a lot in this offseason. So we're going to get to know these guys, I think, a lot over the course of the next few months. So it'll be interesting to see how that goes throughout the upcoming weeks and, and such. But speaking of Notre Dame, we have you know our final thing here for the pro- the podcast tonight is uh, previewing the college football playoff because the the committee did make their final selections for the top four in this year's college college football playoff. And right now, the way it's set up is the one versus four matchup. You have Alabama going up against the pre uh, pre said Notre Dame Fighting Irish, and then uh, the two three matchup is Clemson versus Ohio State. So before we really dig into this thing, uh, you said, uh, what are your thoughts here? Did the committee get it right with these four teams? Yeah, I feel like they got it right because Notre Dame, I, you know, Alabama, it just seems like Alabama, you know, is going to get in every single year anyway, okay? Because they're just the best football team in the country. All right. Then you have Ohio State and Clemson. And, and again, you know, Clemson's been right up there on par with Alabama too. OSU certainly, despite the fact that they had a shortened season, they did deal with a lot of different challenges. However, they were still able to get the job done. The thing with them was is they won when it mattered the most. All right. And then you have Notre Dame, right, who I look at and I'm like, you know what? They played for the most part. I think it was like a full season. All right. They had some really big wins. I think the win over Clemson is really what put Notre Dame over the top. I think that if Notre Dame doesn't beat Clemson, then you are looking at Notre Dame in the final rankings as being like the fifth or sixth ranked team overall. And then a team like Texas A&M, for example, being the fourth team that sneaks in, which, by the way, Kellen Mond is super disappointed that Texas A&M did not get the um, four seed. They were snubbed from the playoffs. So, yeah, I would definitely say overall the committee got it right because now it's like we get a matchup that I don't think we would have seen earlier in the year. You get Notre Dame versus Alabama, which is a great test for Notre Dame, by the way. And then you end up getting a – you end up getting for the second straight year, you get – Justin Fields in Ohio State versus Clemson. I think that when we flash back to that game last year, that one went down to the wire, right, in the semifinal. And now you have this next one. It's just like, okay, is this one going to go down to the wire? This one I would really argue if we're talking prospects here. It's a bit of a prove-it game for Justin Fields to prove that, yeah, I can knock off Trevor Lawrence. Yeah, like you said, that 2-3 uh, that matchup is going to be very interesting. A rematch from last year. Uh, that's going to be the key one to watch, I think. But before I, I kind of go over that, I, like you said, uh, going over Notre Dame and Alabama, it, it's, you know, with Notre Dame getting in here, in my opinion, I feel like whatever team was chosen for the number four sp- spot, to be honest, it probably wasn't going to matter anyway because this Alabama team is so good that they were probably going to blow out any team that plays number four. I mean, Notre Dame could make it a game. Uh, they have the talent in the trenches to be able to, uh, be competitive in that aspect of things, but I don't know. I, I, you know, I think they got the committee got it right in the aspect that I think Notre Dame, they've done a lot this year to kind of make their case. I know they had that really bad game against Clemson, 
but you know that's I think it's recency bias to say that Notre Dame doesn't deserve to be in there. I think they had a more impressive resume than Texas A and M, even though Texas A and M they had a good year as well. I, I I think they were definitely a deserving team if Notre Dame would have lost that that first game against Clemson, like you said, uh, definitely for sure. But with the fact that Notre Dame they did beat Clemson earlier in the year, albeit without Trevor Lawrence, but with that the case, I think the committee got it right in the sense that I think these are the four best teams in the country. It honestly just won't probably matter that much though, because Alabama is, they're just too good. <laughs> they're a fantastic, uh, fantastic team, especially offensively. But I want to get into the two and three, uh, two and three matchup with Clemson Ohio state, because that's going to be, I think the game that we're all going to be watching, having our eyes on, because not only is that a, t- uh, a game against two programs that are consistently, uh, you know, in a class of their own year after year, after year, after year with Clemson and Ohio state, but the two quarterbacks in this one, Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields, these could potentially be the top two quarterbacks taken in next year's NFL draft. And I know that we kind of talked about Justin Fields earlier that, you know, maybe he's slipping a little bit down teams, down, down teams boards with his recent play. But I mean, if he has a big performance here in this upcoming game, that would do a lot to boost his stock, especially um, going up against, against a guy like Trevor Lawrence, who has been fantastic this season. Yeah, and I think that the big thing, right, is that this is going to be one of the last time. I mean, this essentially is the last time we do see Lawrence and Fields and a lot of these other top-tier prospects in pads until they do get to the NFL, right? Now, when I look at, um, you know, the Clemson side of things, like, you're here because you have one of the best teams in the nation, okay? Really, for Ryan Day and OSU, it's going to be how far can they continue to really push uh Clemson and can they stay in the game because I think that the one big thing that Clemson and the one thing that I've observed over the last couple of years is just the fact that in these big games when they get up and they're up early and they're up big there really is no way for them to come back because they're then firing on there's really no way for the opponents to come back because they're firing on all cylinders right now for Justin Fields I think the big thing that I'm going to be watching for in this game is one can he rebound because he's had a couple bad games I know we touched on the Northwestern thing but really can he elevate Ohio State and the rest of the offense in this game and can he take them to the next level and he does not have to be like Trevor Lawrence great for them to win in this game but it's like I'm still looking for fields can you elevate the offense and the rest of the guys around you some of the playmakers like a uh, Chris Olave with a wide receiver for example who's projected to be a late first round early second round pick can you elevate those guys and make them better is what I'm going to be watching for when it comes to Justin Fields yeah he threw one the last time these two teams played last year in the college football playoff he threw two interceptions especially that one late to seal the win for Clemson so uh, not only can he rebound from the Northwestern performance, but can he rebound in the sense that can he make up for, I wouldn't say a bad performance in last year's college football playoff, because he certainly did some nice things in that game, but a performance, can he have that, you know, truly standout great performance that we're looking forward to see from him on a big stage? Uh, that's going to be key here. So uh, final thing before we get out of here for the night is uh, I want to get your prediction for both games. Who do you have winning for both of these games? Yeah, I've got um I think we're going to see a uh Clemson versus Alabama rematch again. Now, part of me is like, I mean, that's just me being super realistic. Part of me does want to see something like Ohio State versus Alabama cuz I'd love to see Mac Jones go at it with Justin Fields, right? And it's been a couple of years since Ohio State's been in the National Championship game anyway. So, 
I think it's going to be realistically, it's going to be Clemson versus Alabama. We're going to see another, you know, another like big heavyweight fight. These two teams go back at it. I mean, listen, we saw it when Deshaun Watson was there. All right. We've seen it with Trevor Lawrence as well. You know, Lawrence elevating, taking them to the college football playoff or the national championship game. I think it was his freshman year. We got a taste of LSU last year winning it because Joe Burrow came out of nowhere. But yeah, this year, I think we're going to see another Alabama versus Clemson repeat. And a lot of the storylines that are going to follow that we're going to see over the next two to three weeks are going to be fun too. But yeah, I've got Alabama versus Clemson. What about you? Yeah, I can't disagree there. I, I just don't – I kind of alluded to this before, but I just can't see Notre Dame beating Alabama with how much talent that Alabama has uh, on offense. And then uh, with Clemson-Ohio State, I think it's going to be a very competitive game, but I think ultimately Clemson has a bit of a better team. Ohio State just isn't as talented as previous years, I think, overall. So I think Clemson's going to benefit from that. I think they're going to win this one, and then it's going to set up an interesting matchup the for a rematch really between Clemson and Alabama because they didn't play each other last year of course because it was LSU making that national championship but the year before Lawrence had that truly star-studded breakout performance against Alabama that really put him on the map on a national stage as this quarterback prospect that we all had to keep our eyes on so um, that's going to be a very interesting to watch if we get to that point but until then those two games are going to be really the ones to look out for coming up here in college football. All right. We got through a lot in that episode. Definitely a lot of fun talking to Nick, Chip- Nick Chipkowski. Um, and it was great to have him on the podcast as well, but I, I think it's time to get out of here. Uh, I want to thank our listeners once again for tuning into this episode. Uh, you said, where can they find your work and follow you on Twitter? Yeah, guys, so you can follow me on Twitter at Usaid culture, read my work on the bear report as well. I know with the, you know, page turning to the end. Even if the Bears make the playoffs, I'll tell you this right now, we're going to be diving headfirst into draft coverage as soon as the calendar turns to January. Absolutely. You know, once this Bears season is done, it's pretty much all fully on the draft for us. You know, not not only that it's pretty much on the draft for us for now as our focus, but especially once the Bears season is done, I mean, that's basically where our, our minds are going to be at or where our focus is going to be at. So, yeah, a lot of fun stuff coming up there. Uh, you can find my work at the Bear Report as well. You can find my work on the Bear Report YouTube channel if you want to get our film breakdowns. Uh, and uh, you can follow me on Twitter at AJFreeman25. Uh, once again, thank you to all of our listeners to tuning in on all podcasting platforms. Uh, happy holidays, everyone. Thank you once again to uh, everyone for tuning in. Uh, bear down, everybody. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime. This is the story of The One. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.